Hello and welcome to the first part of the second episode of ISPP's Policy Cast. I'm your host Thruva Mathur, the academic coordinator at the Indian School of Public Policy. Today we are joined by Professor Tesalia Rizzo to discuss her paper when clients exit breaking the clientelist feedback loop. Professor Rizzo is an assistant professor of political science at the University of California Merced. She is also a research affiliate at MIT Governance Lab and at the Stanford Governance Project. She received her PhD in political science in 2020 from MIT. Her research interests lie in studying topics in comparative political behavior and political economy using a variety of techniques such as field experiments, surveys, interviews and observational data. She is currently working on a book project titled Intermediaries of the State. the bureaucratic transaction costs of claiming welfare in mexico the book explores how bureaucratic transaction costs prevent individuals from directly claiming welfare benefits this is also what we will be discussing today thank you so much for joining us professor iso thank you so much uh, for having me yeah so your paper talks about clientelism but what is clientelism yeah so um that is that is a a question that has many answers um Uh, you know, there's a few varieties, but the way that I understand it is um, usually like this sort of a, sort of a social structure in some way, social a social um, social structure that is that is uh, defined by uh, relationships, right? Relationships between usually a higher higher social economic uh, status individual, usually called patron, right? who uses influences uh has influences resources to provide benefits uh, protection or or both to a lower status individual usually called client and so this is where the term clientelism comes from right the sort of relationship between a patron and a client right and the client uh usually because uh, because of, of 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 her status as a, as a lower social economic uh individual um reciprocates these 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 um these benefits um by providing general support and assistance right so um voting is one very common so vote vote, vote buying if you have heard of the term is 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 within is a, is a, is a behavior that's within clientelism that's incorporates uh, characterizes clientelism but it's not only right clientelism is not only vote buying vote buying is within this sort of more broad sort of uh, series of relationships right so that's basically how i uh, how we define clientelism broadly um and you know some examples like i said is uh, something like vote buying and vote buying i think uh, i think is a term better known um in 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 more like uh, you know day to day experiences you know that's characterized by how sort of politicians during election times in many many countries including my own um distribute cash or 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 goods or gifts that they uh, expect citizens to reciprocate with their vote right and there's many ways of discussing these you know how how this transaction actually happens there's debates about whether this transaction can actually very be verified right in a context where the vote is secret right if you're going to sell your vote as a citizen how can the person that you're selling it to verify this so there's a lot of discussion on that but i like to understand clientelism a little more broadly the relationships are not only about interactions between um voters and politicians but clientelism also can conceive of relationships between citizens and their bureaucrats right between anybody really a client 
a quote unquote and a patron so but then clientelism has got this sort of a negative uh, rapport but why is that the case because to me what it would seem like is you know a politician comes to my house says well you know i promise to build a road for you uh, but just make sure you vote for me to me that seems fairly democratic so what is wrong with that there's nothing wrong with it right and i think you're right um i guess this is a this is a discussion that we we ought to have as um social scientists but um i like to see this as a as a as a spectrum on one end of the spectrum you have a very transactional relationships right you have a patron and a client and they have a very um clear transactional relationship where one of them is selling their vote their support and the other one is giving cash goods services access right and it's purely purely transactional and on the other extreme right we have something like democratic engagement right there's a there's a there's there's a citizen that is you know wants certain types of policies and would only support a politician or you know if the politician supports that policies <clears throat> excuse me how we've idealized sort of democratic engagement if you will right and and in this spectrum reality lies within this spectrum right at what point it becomes clientelism right and at what point it becomes sort of democratic engagement or how it's also known in in, in our profession a you know, programmatic policy politics which is another term that is thrown out there a lot um it's unclear right um and when we as social scientists decide this is clientelism and this is not it's also i mean it's a huge discussion i don't know if we've had time for that but it's also something to think about the way that that i i understand it is there is a point right there is a point where this transaction is detrimental right to social or to to democratic citizenship to autonomy and yeah again that is also not very you can't really clear clearly establish when that is case but i think case by case we can sort of uh, understand and this is why you know in my paper uh, i go a lot into sort of uh, qualitative field work to understand exactly how citizens themselves understand that interaction and from there from the citizens point of view sort of understand you know at what point can we say you know citizen autonomy citizen uh, citizenship democratic citizenship is being um a, a, a damaged if you will also discuss this idea of clientelist intermediaries and so what role do they play in sort of this transaction between a client and a patron this is also a term that can have many meanings right but the the way that i understand intermediaries um and i'm drawing a lot from uh, you know sort of seminal papers by James Scott published back in the 70s but sort of the intermediary um is not necessarily a person in my understanding but uh, a person itself like a, you know like a bureaucrat or a, you know or a, a broker or a party but it's a function right so the intermediary does not necessarily have uh the goods to, to distribute but can have access to to them to the goods right um and in so in having access i can sell or can um, can profit in many ways from that advantage uh so clientelism in the intermediaries i mean you can think of you know an intermediary even being somebody as innocuous uh, as a tax consultant right you're a citizen you need to pay your taxes and you might not know exactly how to do that right and in in a way that 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 person allows you to 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 to, to, to or facilitates right how one how one pays the taxes that's a very 
sort of uh, innocuous example. But on the other end, right, you can have a, an individual who, who knows how to obtain a benefit from government better than someone else that has special connections to government. And although that individual does not have, you know, the, the, the actual benefit itself, doesn't have the social program, and then he, he, he or she knows how to access that. They become clientelists, right? When they, uh, instead of charging, say, you know, some fixed amount, or you know, instead of uh, having a clear kind of transaction with the with the individual, like perhaps your tax tax advisor, uh, they they uh, charge individuals with their political support, right? So that becomes like the currency. The currency it becomes political support. I will help you get access to social benefits if you vote for this person or if you go to this rally or if you provide this right this political support uh, and so that's what characterizes an, a, a clientelist intermediary from other types of intermediaries but do these intermediaries then say for example exist in only developing countries or are they also do they also exist in developed countries you know are there certain preconditions for their existence i think they exist everywhere if i'm honest um i don't think if there's a Yes, there are certain conditions that uh, sort of legally uh, make these kinds of interactions either illegal. In many countries, actually, in many in Mexico itself, this explicit uh, in exchange of benefits or even access to benefits, right, uh, for political support is illegal, nominally illegal, or, you know, uh, but still it happens, and I th- I think it happens everywhere. To again, it's it's a spectrum. Uh, the, 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 the interaction in real life rarely follows that clear cut uh, language, right? Um, I feel I feel we've all we've all had some similar experience to one extent or another when when someone uh, you know uh, give, uh, does a favor for us and implicitly requests something, right? They don't necessarily explicitly say you to repay me this gift. Um, in a similar way, many of these relationships happen, right? So again, where does this where does this uh, happen? I think it happens everywhere with a lot less frequency. So one of the I guess that's a long answer to saying one one of the one of the main conditions I think or scopes where these kinds of interactions happen is when citizens, uh, voters, right, have the need for these kinds of of, uh, of interactions. They they need something that they cannot. Uh, obtain. So, for instance, in the case of social programs, right, individuals who need a social program, so poverty is a, you know, you could call it a condition, uh, poverty or lack of access, uh, but also not only poverty, you can also think of, of people who just simply don't know what the government can provide, right? So, a, a scarcity of information, scarcity of resources to request what they need. And so, in these kinds of situations, uh, a market for intermediary uh, is, is intermediaries um, can 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 thrive, right? And intermediaries who can then, uh, you know, provide this access, this information, or even the good itself, in some cases, uh, in exchange for um, for this political support, right? And I think this happens. I mean, maybe uh, maybe in places where there is no poverty and information is perfectly distributed. But I think this is rare, even in developed countries, even in the country that I live in, in the U.S. Um, this happens, uh, you know, those conditions are 
very uh, very prevalent across many places in the US as well. Because uh, you know, you mentioned that uh, the fact that you know it is legal in uh, Mexico, such a you know in uh, such a relationship. So in that sense, what is sort of the social security structure? Uh, you know, the way social security benefits are distributed in Mexico, because I remember in your paper, you mentioned that it's very paternalistic. Yeah, so um, that's true. So, the, so a, a big a big amount of, of, of or a large part of the, the condition, right, depends on um, on the government, um, you know, how much information individuals have, how easy it is for them to access social benefits uh, or other benefits that the government provides will depend in large part on how the, the government structures its distribution. Um, in Mexico, this has this has changed a lot uh, in the past. Um, in the new new, uh, new administration uh, of the president Andrés Manuel López Obrador, um, but yeah, for 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 a long time, I think you know, more what characterized a lot of um, and still potentially does. We can talk about it a little later, but. You know, what characterized the, the outreach um, and sort of promotion of social programs was very uneven modes of, of promotion. Right? In some states, it might be some states there would be states or municipalities, a, you could have a more systematized distribution of information. And that did happen, that, that does happen in Mexico. Um, people that use the internet might, you know, go into the website of the uh, of government and find out what there is. And then there's uh, some other states, some other places where uh, information was very scarce. Right? The only way that you would know that something was available to you was through 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 somebody you knew, a, a local leader, uh, family connections, etc. Right. So this kind of this kind of unevenness and heterogeneity, right, in how Social programs were promoted. Uh, well, gives a lot of opportunity for for uh, for arbitrage, right? For political arbitrage, and um, this heterogeneity is is very detrimental then to the actual implementation and distribution of of, of benefits, right? You can under, you can kind of understand how in some places, if information is concentrated among certain individuals, right, like uh, local leaders, then you would have uh, well. Uh, concentration of power, um, of who distributes what, who gives what, and has access to, to, to what. Because you mentioned that there is a certain, you know, uh, heterogeneity when it comes to, um, you know, accessing uh, information with regards to benefits. So I wanted to understand a bit more with regards to how is it exactly that, you know, what are the sort of major key issues that people end up facing in accessing these services in your research, you know, that results in this, you know, uh, intermediary coming in. So what were some of the major issues that came up in your research? Yeah, so I think one of the major uh, major issues, it does have to do a lot with information, uh, with how much information there actually is. So one thing to understand before, before we go into, like, um, into, into that is that the way that social assistance is structured in Mexico is that there are there are some social assistance programs that try to um, combat poverty, right? Either through, there used to be, we can talk about the changes in a bit, but you know, either those that were directed towards uh, sort of cash transfers for the poor, um, scholarships uh, for, for, for students in, uh, in, in disadvantaged positions, right? Healthcare, 
for people who don't have formal employment um, and others. And these these kinds of these kinds of, of, of benefits, right? There were some major programs at the federal level, but then uh, because Mexico is a federation, right? We also have states. There's 32 states now in Mexico, and each of the states also has a particular budget that they can assign to social assistance programs, right? They can also collaborate with the federal system to create a or fund a particular program. Um, and then you have underneath the states, you have municipalities. And municipalities can also, they also have a particular budget that they can use for some social assistance and social, uh, social spending. Right? So you have this kind of mixture of different levels of government that have both resources and, and, and possibility to create different types of um, social benefits, social assistance uh, benefits. Uh, there's, there's, uh, you know, there's also this in some in the past, in the past few years. But when I was writing this this paper and most of my research, <clears throat> you know, there, there's also different levels of of programmatic, uh, programmaticness. That that means how well defined the rules of operation were of each program. As you might imagine, perhaps you know the the federal programs, at least the ones that existed for a very long time, they were quite. Uh, you know, they were they were quite programmatic. They had a lot of rules of operation. They had a lot of oversight um, relative to the, the 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 state level programs, and much more so than the municipal level programs. This 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 affects right how uh, well one how these programs are 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 implemented, but also how much information individual citizens have of each of these levels, right? You might imagine that because the municipality is closer to citizens, then citizens might know more about this. But at the same time, the municipal level programs, uh, you know, suffer less oversight in their particular sort of rules of operations, right? So then, therefore, that might actually counteract the proximity, right? Um, so citizens might actually know less about those programs and that that, that expenditure that is happening at the local level. Right than at the federal level, so uh, information, like I said, is a big one. But uh, of course, you know, we can't escape the the fact that there's a lot of there was a lot of corruption. There still is, uh, as many many argue, in how these these benefits are distributed. Right, one could create a program at the at the le- at the municipal level, at the at the state level, uh, and if you don't need to report it in a, in any kind of public account or any kind of uh, formal document, then um, it's not hard to pocket that money as a as a local politician, right, or as a local leader or what what have you. So that's another huge issue, right? That also kind of incorporates into the the whole dynamic of citizens sort of having access to social benefits. Uh, so I think those are you know sort of two of the main main issues here. The informational issue with it in itself incorporates a lot of things. One of them being like how how well organized uh, the program is, how well you know how much uh, how clear are the rules of operation, how how much oversight there is on it. All these kinds of things that 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 would ensure, at least formally, that the program is well um, well implemented. And the other, and it's tied right, it's the problem of corruption, which is a huge problem. Because you you know you mentioned that uh, with regards to you know how it was rather odd that you know at the local level people are not aware of the local programs because 
I remember reading your paper and you had uh, mentioned this incident where, you know, often these municipal vans making announce announcements would go out to town, but they would only visit certain blocks. And, you know, often the people at that time were out in the farms. So there would anyway not be anybody listening to that. So that seems sort of odd because to me, it would seem sort of a common sense thing that, you know, if you know people are out to work, you simply don't send your vans at the time. You send them in the evenings when everybody's returned home. Uh, but, you know, that also leads me to the idea of, you know, who exactly is managing these operations at the local level? Because you, in your paper, you mentioned the role of uh, Comisario Municipal and then the block chiefs, and also the fact that often there's also confusion over who exactly is the Comisario. And, you know, further on the other areas of issues that come in with regards to you know, their own individual political interests. So how does this whole thing play out when you talk about, you know, local uh, welfare programs? Yeah, no, that's a that's a great point. And to the to the point of the the vans, I mean, I think it's a very different experience. Just as a little, a little parenthesis, it's very it's a very different experience if you know if if you're a urban um, Mexican, right? Then if you're Mexican living in a rural area, um, people have radically sometimes radically different experiences about how they understand and 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 and, and experience actually the state. Um, so in a way, right, like um, when you're when you live in a, uh, I mean, I think some of these examples comes from 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 Yucatan, which is a state, <clears throat> a state in in southern Mexico, um, that has a lot, actually has a very uh, dispersed uh, population in a lot of small small towns, which they called uh, comisarias, and usually these are towns within municipalities, right. There's usually a municipality head uh, where the mayor uh, and the sort of the mayoral offices are, all the administrative part of the municipality is. But then there's towns that are more or less far, sometimes close, sometimes very far, sometimes very, very far, hours away. It depends on the municipality. And people live in these towns. Um, and so how does the municipality ensure that everybody, right, everybody in their municipality hears about what is being offered? You know, usually if there's some um, some some social program, uh, you would you, know, you would hear about it from your municipality, and usually the the procedure would be well, you go to the municipal offices, right, and you either ask for more help, you ask for it to to you know what are the requirements, etc. Right, that would be like a. But for many many people, this is an impossible thing to do. They live very far away. There's no public transportation, or it's very rare, it's costly, etc. Right. So what 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 ended up happening was that in many, many parts of Mexico, there are sub-municipal authorities. Um, in some places, they're called auxiliary authorities. In some states, they are within the state constitution. There's Each state has constitution. In some states, they're not. They're more informal. So there's variation in that. Um, in the state of Yucatan, they're called comisarios, comisarios municipales. So a commissioner, a municipal commissioner, right, that is like the representative of the municipal government uh, in this, these towns that are, that are far away. Similar, as, again, a similar uh, roles uh, are played in different states. Um, but then, you know, one, one sort of quick way of, of letting people know what, what is going on is through loudspeakers. And so you're right, you're totally right. I, when I was doing my field work, I was doing most of my field work during the day. Um, I was based in in a in in the municipal center of different different municipalities, and I would go to the out 
you know, to the cap to the commissarias in, in the day. And I would hear these things and I'd be like, why are they doing this right now? I barely have anybody to interview um, here. And, uh, you know, most of the <laughs> most of the time the answer would be, well, this is when the guy with the car could go around and notify people. And people would be like, well, you know, most of the women are home, so, you know, they get to know it. And in fact, in my data, in, my, in, 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 in processing the data, I do find that women are much more likely to sort of request social benefits than men. So there is some, uh, some, something, something there, maybe. Maybe it's not as outrageous, uh, but still pretty, pretty, uh, you know, pretty outrageous because you never know who is home, right? Um, and, uh, and that can create a lot of different, uh, have different effects on who get, who knows about what. Um, who shares information? Not everybody's going to share information if they heard that uh, you know, the municipality is going to give X amount of water cisterns per per municipality. If I've heard about it, I'm not going to tell my 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 friends and neighbors. So it can have a bunch of unknown. The problem is the unknown sort of impact, right? A distributional impact that these kinds of strategies, these kinds of ad hoc information strategies, can have. I was also wondering, you know, what is the role that these uh you know, local uh, municipal commissioners play with regards to, you know, how their political interests intercede with sort of, uh, one would say, their duty to ensure social welfare is extended to all. Right. Um, and, I mean, one one part that I that I kind of didn't, didn't talk about is that, you know, in, in, in many in many cases, these kinds of... So I talk in my paper about the commissariat municipalities, but I also talk about these block chiefs, right, and these... Um, they're called manzaneras because in Spanish manzana means block uh, of uh, sorry a neighborhood block, right? So these are like sort of uh, you know, block chiefs in a way, and these are these are, these are individuals that were traditionally and historically tied to a political party, um, and so whereas these auxiliary authorities are more um, sort of uh, in place all year round, most of these sort of block chiefs and um, and other kind of precinct chiefs, there's also precinct chiefs, uh, they're more active during elections. Sometimes they're the same person. Sometimes they're different. Um, you know, the, it, 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 again, this heterogeneity in how local politics uh, um, happens is, is uh, it's what makes this such a rich place to study, but also what complicates a lot of this uh, problematics with, with welfare that you're talking about, right? If you have a a, a, a commissario municipal that is very um, that has a long history in a community that is validated by the community that is that is sort of uh, respected in the community, you might have a very different distributional impact in how social programs are you know, are, are adopted or implemented than if you have someone who ha- was just named by the local reigning political party. Right, and that serves both as a dis- somebody who distributes benefits, but also during elections activates and starts mobilizing the vote. Um, so all of these things can happen at the same time. There's very little oversight. Uh, so a lot of local leaders kind of function as 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 as, as you know, both vote mobilizers and policy distributors. Right. So because in your uh, paper, one of the things uh, that I note of was that you know there's of course this idea that these uh, local officials are sort of the only avenues which are available to make a claim to the state because you know you uh, discussed this one example where you are doing this interview uh, with a lady named Leonida and there's this whole discussion that well yeah you know we 
want to access the benefits but how does one apply to apply for it and so on and so forth the person the official is not telling them simply um so in that case uh, to me because it would seem that if you if this person is sort of the only way you can make a claim uh, to uh, you know get social security benefits so then in that in itself in some senses creating this market uh, so to say for intermediaries to you know access the system and you know play the middleman so to say that's right that's right and um i think that's that's a very yeah that's a very um that's a very good example because uh and all of the names um, mind you all of the names in my paper are made up names um but they were they, they were a group of women who had a collective they 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 were um at that time they were har- harvesting beans if i'm not mistaken and anyways these women they 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 have a collective and they um a farm where they they you know they they, they get beans they will sell them to the market this is this is a little bit unusual um but not completely unusual that women who may uh, may not have very may, may not have very productive husbands or no no husbands at all um kind of come together to create a source of income this is very very common right um and there are a lot of uh, social programs in uh, both the federal and state level that support these kinds of entrepreneurs um agricultural entrepreneurs so i was asking them about some of these programs um but the thing is that uh, you know leonida herself was a little bit of a of a leader i mean it has to be in order to coordinate a, an effort like this uh you know she was a little bit of a leader uh, herself and the acting the previous acting uh, commissario municipal was not a very good friend um there was there was some roughness in this it was a very small town right and these kinds of you know uh, problems or conflicts between people within a small town can create this kinds of things so um yeah so i mean the commissario municipal is in theory the, per- the first person who who knows about any kind of social benefits like agricultural subsidies or machinery or any kind of thing so it, it does happen a lot that if if that person is the one who gets the the call saying there are this amount of of you know let's say uh this x machine right for agriculture for 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 certain types of agricultural activities right uh, well there's a limited amount and if, you, if, if, the, if and, and the problem there was right that the that the commissario municipal was not very willing to share this information with them and that happens a lot and like you said yes this creates is exactly what happens like when 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 uh, when when one person right from the government perspective they are perhaps being efficient by having a representative at this very far away person, place so in a sense it makes sense for the government to have these representatives be out there what what in in de facto creates within the community is a person that centralizes most of this information and then is going to uh you know it's going to well uh, use this information to their advantage creating um a market uh for these intermediaries in this case you know this 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 individual who holds the information on how to access these very crucial uh, or potentially crucial um benefits agricultural benefits in this case with this we come to the close of the first part of the second episode in this part we uncovered what clientelism is it is a social relationship between a patron who's socially and economically powerful and a client 
who's socially and economically weak, where the patron helps the client with accessing services. In return, the patron can expect the client to provide support, political or otherwise, in the future. However, patrons are not just politicians. They can also be bureaucrats who can expect favors in the future. Now, the key thing to remember for the next part of this episode are that this paper is based in Mexico, which is a federal country with many states and municipalities. And the federal, state and municipalities each have their own welfare programs. Now, however, while one would assume that people would know about local government programs, they often don't. And municipalities often have limitations in being able to effectively promote their own schemes. Now, the municipalities have commissary municipal and block chiefs, who are the key actors in ensuring access to municipal schemes. But what happens when their role gets politicized? To know more about this, stay tuned for the second part of this episode.